It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio.
working on this technology, man. As I was saying, the excuses take that back. Excuses. Yeah. I need to take it. Yes. I, I need to take it back. But I feel like I'm coming through clearly now. Can you clear? I'm clear right now. Several slides. Man, you sound uh, like you're in a study hall, D. You sound like you're in a study oh, yeah. hall. <laughs> I, I sound like I'm in the You need to be more clear, brother. More clear. More clear than in the study hall. Well, I'm, I'm going to work on that adjustment there. How do I sound now? Am I in your living room yet? I feel like I'm there yet. I feel good about this right now. Yeah, it feels good. All right, you, you're getting uh, closer, but you're still like three rows back in the second row. We're going to keep oh, it moving. You, 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 all right, I got you, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Y'all killing me. Y'all killing me. Y'all killing me. Well, welcome to the Real Sports Guys, where real guys talk real sports. RSG, Renegade Radio. We got D. Wills, PhD, and the Game Changer in the house. Uh, this is a special edition podcast we are going to go over or discuss um and just chop it up around the nba finals this has been a very interesting finals we're two games in um headed to cleveland tomorrow night for the first game in cleveland uh the series is two to zero golden state is up um golden state has won both games pretty convincingly um you know Let's let's start this conversation off with um, one. How did you see this playing out before the game started being played? Um, PhD. What was your kind of prediction of how you thought this series was, was going to go, and what 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 evidence did you have to kind of get you to that conclusion? I um I felt that the Cavs were winning six games. I uh, I still feel that the Cavs are winning six games, and my evidence. Um, I saw the series after two games being tied 1-1. <clears throat> I felt that the Cavs would either steal game one or game two. Um, and, I mean, the biggest evidence I had was that the Cavs have more power, firepower than they had last year. Um, the Cavs have uh, a deeper bench in which they can play multiple different ways. We saw them in the Eastern Conference being able to pound Detroit a game or two. Um, but the rest of the series, they were a perimeter team. The same thing with the second round against the Hawks and the conference finals against the Raptors. We saw them play in multiple ways. So, you know, I just felt like they could still bang them, play it big, and also that um, they were moving the ball around better this year especially in the playoffs, and I felt that would help them against Golden State. Okay. All right. So you still got it going. In, uh, how do you feel? How, you still feel like six is a strong prediction for you? Um, I like the Cavs in nine games or seven games, as long as I can stretch <laughs> this thing out. Um, but yeah, I do think um and maybe I'm pulling in straws here, but I am you know two weeks ago this whole saying that a series doesn't start until the home team loses you know i I was kind of fifty fifty with that at this point, you know that thing is right next to the Bible in my household, so I'm really right strong with that theory, okay, okay. And, and what, just like, what are your thoughts on the first two games? And, and you were expecting a split. 
were there anything was there anything that you saw um the Cavs not do in those first two games that prevented them from getting that split? Um well clearly I think they had a better shot in game one and you know, because Thompson and Curry struggled. And you know, my biggest concern were the defensive breakdowns that the Cavs had. And I have not seen um, – I've watched every minute of the Cavs in the playoffs so far. I've been to about 15 or 20 games, including the playoffs this year. I um, mean, I've probably watched at least half their games. So, so we're talking close to 50, 55 games I've watched. And I will say in the last month, the week or two before the season, before the playoffs started, plus the first three rounds of the playoffs, I saw more defensive breakdowns in the first two games against Golden State that led to wide-open dunks um, and not picking up people on the fast break. I saw more of those in the first two games than I've seen in the last 20 games the Cavs have played. Yeah, and that's an interesting observation. So, like, I haven't watched the Cavs as much as you have, um, but just – Watching the Cavs trying to adjust to Golden State, there's there's a lot of communication breakdowns that you can easily kind of just point out and pick out because they result in wide open layups um, or dunks. And I think the thing that Golden State does that we all kind of saw, and, and, and well, at least I, one thing I noticed watching them watching Golden State throughout the playoffs, um, and particularly uh, when they played against OKC. When Steph and, and Clay get rolling and they're in transition, they make defenses do things that defenses don't want usually want to do. Like fundamental rules of transition, you get back to the paint and then you fan out. Well those two make you have to reverse that. You gotta fan out and find them right away, which then leaves the paint wide open and you get those kind of opportunities where a guy is thinking he's gonna have help because he usually does have help in that situation. Um, because that's just basic fundamental transition defense and now the guys get uh, the offense is getting a wide open layup um you know i kind of saw i I predicted cleveland to to or to lose this in five i go to state to win in five um i i just i see it as a, a very very uh strong mismatch in favor of golden state um i think at some key spots um, Cleveland just doesn't have the right personnel. Um, OKC kind of provided us a blueprint, and OKC was a team I picked to to win the championship. And from what I heard, I I had heard that on the street, D. Wills and Hank was going at me <laughs> last night, the other night by my OKC pick. And well, you was with him, man. So don't give me that Hank. Hank, nothing. You were chilling. I haven't listened to the pod yet. I was gonna try and prepare the clip. I was gonna try to prepare the clip. You know, because I haven't listened to the pod yet. But I'm gonna get that. I'm gonna get that Hank A lot of excuses in the first 15 minutes, Devon. A lot of excuses in the first 15. Hey, man, I'm trying to catch my try. I text you, man. I said he's going at you. I'm trying to give you a chance to come on live. I'm gonna give you, you know. You know, opportunity. I know I was to, busy. To I was busy. I couldn't. I couldn't swing it. You know, I couldn't I, swing I, it. But I, I was. I wasn't trying to. I went. I, I didn't want you to hear it on the streets. I wanted you to respond at that moment. I was like, my guy will respond. Let me text him right now. 
I know he hey. got a phone there. Hey. You know, that's how I was. Hank, I know he got Hank, a phone there. But... Hank, but uh, he violating rules, man. He on that D'Angelo Russell. <laughs> <laughs> violating rules, man. There's rules to this. If I ain't on air, man, don't be coming at me. Right. Oh, <laughs> respect on it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. He going to get that I mean, D'Angelo Russell treatment at the next RSG conference, man. <laughs> He's going to be sitting at the lunch table by himself to take his applesauce. Have somebody come up to him. You're going to eat your cornbread. Run off with that bad boy. I have to have somebody come and play that clip. I have to play that clip for you. It was funny. He had me in tears. You know, hey. Hank is good. He can go off. He'll have me. He'll have me I know he can. So. I know he can. I know yeah, he can. He just got to do that when I'm on yeah. the air. He just got to do that when I'm on the yeah. air. That's how we roll. So I ain't even going to get at him. I'm just going to talk about what I already talked about when it comes to why I chose OKC and why I chose Golden State to uh, beat the Cavs in five. Uh, I picked OKC because I, I just saw a very talented roster um, that if they figured it out, they had two of the top five players in the world. To me, the playoffs really is about guys. It's about adjustments, and then it's about players that are adjustment-proof, right? So it's about coaches making adjustments to neutralize role players. Um, but then it, it, once that happens, then it comes down to the dudes you can't make. An, there's no adjustment for Kevin Durant, and there's no adjustment for Russell Westbrook, and there's no adjustment for LeBron James and Steph Curry and guys of that nature. They just gonna do what they're gonna do and you gotta hope that they're off. You just have to make things tough for them and hope that they don't make their shots. That's really what it boils down to. Because if they're hitting their shots, good night. Um and so I thought OKC had a chance to do some damage. Um I thought they had enough quickness and enough length to potentially get past Golden State. And to me the Western Conference is the toughest conference. I figured if you win that conference, you probably win in the title. Um so that's why I picked OKC. I didn't, you know, I didn't want to act like I was too much of a, a a visionary with the pick, like I told you, I told you, um, or anything like that, because you know I just I, I, that's what I thought, right? That's, that's what I thought. I, I think if you would have asked me to um, put some money on it, I probably wouldn't. Have. <laughs> but the fact that there was no money to be put on it, I said I like OKC. Um, so that's why right, I, I like honesty. Hey, I'm straight up, <laughs> straight up. Um, but what I, what, I, what I don't appreciate is those folks who are trying to come at me because they were quiet when it was 3-1. <laughs> Real quiet. Cricket. And man, I wasn't I was, really man, I was cheering. I was cheering for OKC so much uh, as a Cavs fan. They were up 3-1. Oh, my goodness. I wanted to see OKC so much more than the Warriors. You feel like that was a better matchup for the Cavs. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, the Cavs, I feel like OKC, you know, if you look at them, they're going to play, you know, 90, like 85 to 100% of their minutes. They're going to play with two bigs on the court. And the Cavs, that's kind of like their base setup, being able to play Love and Tristan Thompson together. And I felt that they have, it's almost like a pitcher that has a really good fastball. That's not enough in the college game or even professional game. you got to have some off-speed stuff, a slider, a change-up to be able to mix it up. And I felt that the Cavs, with the acquire, with acquiring a Channing Fry, you know, and also Richard Jefferson playing well, and that 
lineup they play to start the second and fourth quarters, that would match up really well with OKC. Like, they can play two or three different ways. And OKC, it seems like their strength is playing with power. So, you know, and another thing is just they're not the Warriors. <laughs> you know, like, there's a reason the Warriors won 73 games and just seeing how they could score in spurts. You know, Tom Thibodeau was on uh, the Dan Patrick show uh, either this morning or yesterday, and he just mentioned, man, with the three ball, you know, you play against a team like the Warriors or any team that can shoot a three ball, when you have a bad mend or two, that could be the difference of ten points right there, opposed to a bad mend or two, you're losing six, seven points. So, you know, the Warriors, man, they they just had so many stretches last year in the finals where – they struggle, 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 and all of a sudden they have a five-minute stretch where they score 26 points as a team. You know, the, like I I wanted to see a team that didn't have that type of firepower, and I wanted to see a team where we wouldn't be forced to play small and adjust to them. So that's why I really wanted to see OKC. And, you know, yeah. I dig that. I dig that. Um, so the reason, you know, and I, and I and I see what you're saying. I think I think if I if I and that's why I feel like Cleveland and the Warriors is, is not a good match. I, I agree. With you. I don't think Cleveland, um, maybe for different reasons, but I, I I think the Warriors are a tough matchup for Cleveland for some of the reasons that you stated. Um, the main reason I think is just Cleveland isn't a defensive a, uh, a strong defensive minded squad. From with, I, don't, I don't think they have a critical mass of guys who want to play defense the way you need to play defense to defend Golden State and to beat Golden State. And I think that's something that you saw in the first two games is that guys are missing assignments, guys are making mistakes, and a lot of that is just chops and mental focus. And, I mean, when I say chops, I mean just like defensive skills, like defensive instincts, just like knowing how to defend um, and then just talking to each other. And outside of LeBron, um, at times Tristan, um, there aren't guys who I would consistently say, yeah, that guy, he's out there to play defense. Like, J.R. Smith is out there to score. Shumper, he's out there to play defense. Um, Delhi, probably out there to play defense. Um, Kyrie, he's out there to score. Kevin Love, out there to score. Um, and I just don't think they have the mentality that it takes. And I, I, I didn't think OKC had the necessarily mentality, but they displayed the mentality for four games. For four games, OKC had the defensive discipline to be able to execute what they were trying to execute, switching everything or switching the the Russ, the uh, the uh, Curry and Clay Thompson action. Uh, but then in those last three games, Golden State just kind of got comfortable with their length and their ability to take away passing lanes, and that's how you stop ball movement is getting you know having long arms and making the windows tighter. Um, and Golden State got comfortable throwing into those tighter windows. But earlier in the series, you saw a lot of turnovers, right? In that OKC series, there are lots of turnovers. In this Cleveland series, there haven't been as many turnovers. Um, the first game, Golden State was a little sloppy, but this last game, they didn't have a ton of turnovers. Um, they had one stretch towards the end of the second half where they got sloppy, and Cleveland kind of clawed back into the game um, going towards halftime. But I think they're coming out there, and they're like, oh, man, look at these windows. Look at all the space we got. And, you know, Cleveland's doing a good job of taking away Curry and, and Thompson. But other guys, I think they're giving too much room to other guys, and they're willing to step up. Um, D. Wills, you back out of study hall? 
Yeah, I'm back in. Back from the back from the. That, that, that the sounds good. You sound good right here. Whatever you're doing right now, yeah. you sound good. We want to keep yep, you right here. All right. And, and, and now so, I got this leg. I got this leg angle going right now that's even helping it even more. So, um, so I, I, I so D Wills, I, I got I got a quick question for you though. Before you go, I got a quick question for you. I got a quick question for you. First, I want you to say what you're gonna say, but what was your prediction? Because you've been wearing, you've been wearing some flip flops and socks. A lot. Yeah, let me, let me, let, let, let yeah. me, and I've been calling you on it on Twitter. And and I, I and I and I've asked you what color flip flops you want to get. So let me explain what happened. So we did the prediction. I picked Golden State up front. So I'm traveling. I go to Cleveland and I spend time with Phil. We go to the game at the Q. And I'm uh, there, you uh, you missing a step, Devon. You missing a step. What step am I missing? You did not pick the Warriors right away. You, I mean, this was this happened over text, right? You picked the Cavs. Then no, we, 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 we well, I thought we did this on on the show. I I went with Golden State up front, <laughs> and then we kept going back and forth over. But was that post when I went to Cleveland or not? That was post Cleveland. So before the before the playoffs, I picked I picked uh I picked Golden State. So I, I pick with I'll pick with that pick. So we we go anywhere but I got I got hey, I got a tranquilizer too. So, so <laughs> oh, here you go. Here you go. Let's keep it real though. And I got the right leg angle right now. So I'm good to go right now. I feel like I got that Kevin Hart leg angle going right now. So we go, and, man, I'm, I'm in the queue. I'm like, man, you start to – I was talking to Phil about this last week. It's like, man, you sense that <laughs> these folks really need to win this. I mean, I, it was the first time I got the sense of the pressure that LeBron is under. And, uh, you know, I've been having this discussion. I talked to Phil about this, that – that and hopefully we can unpack this at some point. Like winning, winning in upper Midwest cities like Cleveland, Detroit, little Northeast, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati. These cities for the past thirty years have gone through some economic stuff in ways that I know they talked about it in Cleveland, Cleveland or whatever. Um, that you start to understand, like, how connected they are to their team and how much the team represents hope. So you're sitting there, and there's a scene, Phil, if you remember, where remember LeBron had, like, the triple-double, and they had, they had, they had the uh, jumbo trial on LeBron in the Toronto series. Yeah. And yeah. the crowd was cheering, and he kept looking up, looking down, looking up, and finally he did the salute, and they went crazy. It, at yeah. that moment, you realize, wow, man, this yeah. is a city – that needs it. So my moral, my heart, my heart kind of went from as a Midwesterner, like, hey, man, they got. I know I think Golden State because Golden State straight up, as as as, uh, as Iverson said in his uh his uh, uh NBA, you know, the Iverson thing on NBA TV, he said I was a killer. Golden State is a team of killers. I mean, <laughs> they got that. They got that. If he dies, he dies. I've been put. I've been putting that up. Of uh, the boy Drago. If he dies, he dies. I mean, they playing like. I don't care about your emotions. We just question you, and it's so matter of fact. It's like it's so brutal, and so that was more of an emotional thing because I just realized, man, this brother's got some. He got 
pressure in ways that I don't think people understand if you're not in that moment, in that space, in that arena, you begin to understand how the weight on LeBron's shoulders is so much different than the weight on other superstar shoulders. I mean, I didn't quite have that sense until I was at that moment. And so I was like, man, that was kind of an emotional push. But to look at the basketball stuff, then the series started. And then reality clicked in. Yeah. And yeah, and the LeBron is, thing is real. Yeah. It's real, man. And part of it, this is what I said about the series. I think the problem is, I think Cleveland can play with Golden State. I think the problem was, if you watch it, Cleveland came out, and particularly Kyrie, because he had to wait a whole year, came out like a boxer that threw all their punches early and was just tired. It was kind of like that moment, and they talk about when Ali said to Foreman, you know, you know, and Foreman realized he was in that deep water. They, Kyrie came out. He was, he was shooting like he was trying to, like he had been pinning this stuff up for a year and wanted to let it all go. And so they were playing, you watch them, they were playing, even LeBron was playing so out of control, like nothing like you saw before because the emotion got out. But then you watch, you watch Golden State, they play with even energy, right? They, you know, other than Draymond being that emotional leader, they are very matter-of-fact. And you can see that. And so the mistakes that they're making, Cleveland's making, are part of that emotional. They, uh, great thing if you get a chance to watch it. The NBA kind of uh, uh, um, film room. It's a great thing. You got you got the czar in there, but they show this kind of baseline action where there's like the screen, you know, the screen along the baseline on the right side of the floor. Simple thing. And I was saying, I was saying to Mark, I was saying, you know, Marcus is a high school coach. You coach, you know, kids from fourth grade on up. These are things that, you know, by the fourth fifth grade, they're picking up this kind of conversation. Like you at least got them understanding. Some of these kind of basic concepts, and these are professionals. And they, they go say, you know, there's a screen on the baseline. The, the guy cuts, and then both the Cleveland players are standing there. But like, that is not a breakdown that you don't. It's like they are emotionally not focused and haven't caught the energy around that. And and that was stuff that they had been doing along along the line. So it told me that 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 they are so emotionally out of it, and that's the problem, that then who becomes the emotional leader? And this is the problem with someone like a Kevin Love and a Kyrie right now, is that when you're in a situation like this, it just can't be LeBron. Like, this, Cleveland's problem is it's not that they're all bad defenders. They're bad defenders at the wrong position. They got a person who's not committed to defense at point guard, and he's one of your stars. You got a power forward who's not committed at defense, he Kevin actually played pretty deeply in the first game, I think, on both ends of the court. He made some mistakes, but I thought his energy was much better than I thought. But those guys have to help in, in ways that I'm not seeing. But a lot of it's so psychological. I just felt like they, they shot everything in that first quarter, and then when, when, when Gold State didn't fall and came back like Ali, you know, that boy, LeBron, had a look in his eyes. Like man, I'm here and I only got two bullets. Like I thought I came with, I thought I came with everything. I got a pea shooter. I got, I got a sling shot. I mean, LeBron, he had to look like, you know, I forget, you know, if you see Derek, what's it called? Uh, the one, it's like a, 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 there's a new kind of a superhero movie, uh, 
uh, what's his name, Devil, um, ah, dang, uh, with the red suit. But he kept he keeps leaving the cab. Yeah, he keeps leaving the cab and, and, and leaving his ammo. He left his ammo in the cab. <laughs> That's how LeBron looked. Got there ready for the fight. And remember, he left his ammo in the cab. That's just kind of how he looked. And so can they come back? I might think they get game three. Man, I ain't betting on it. Man, they get game three, I think. But I think it's going to be Golden State in five or six. I mean, I just, unless Kyrie has something changed in how he's playing, because he's a key, or Lou decides, I can't trust y'all. So, LeBron, we're going to go back to the game plan for last year. We're going all in on you, and I'm going to find the four guys who can play with you. That might be some stars might be sitting. I mean, if if, if Lou decides to go with the model they did last year, playing Delhi them more and doing something different and say, LeBron, we're just going to go with that model and I'm going to insert these scores where we can, then that might be a difference. If, if that's a bold thing, that means you might be sitting Kyrie a lot and you might you basically going, we're going defense and LeBron. I mean, like they did last year, and I'll insert Kyrie these folks where I can. If he gets that radical, yeah, I think that's the only way I think they get back. I got a couple points from what you're saying right now. A couple points. First, first point is on Golden State. Um, you mentioned it that Golden State has a very matter of fact demeanor. And the mainstream media, again, this is something you're only going to hear us talk about here. We're going to talk about it now. The mainstream media will talk about it in a month. All right. And I'm being real about that. We're going to talk about this now. The mainstream media will be saying what we're saying right now in a month. And I'm tired That's of that. That's right. <laughs> Uh, but, it's like they listening in. Coin right. But this is the this is the thing, right? Everybody wanted to everybody was waiting on Golden State to struggle so they could point to them going for seventy three. And that's such a football centric mentality, right? That's what they do in the NFL. If you're gonna go undefeated, you still gotta rest those last couple of games because you want your players healthy, because it's football and everybody's one play away from being out for a long time. Um, and so that, that mentality makes a little bit more sense in football. But in basketball, the process of trying to win every single game for a stretch of 82 games, it does something to you mentally. It creates a level of mental toughness that allows you to then come back from 3-1, from down 3-1 against a team with two of the top five players in the world on Like, that, that's something that that – the mainstream media hasn't spoken about how that pursuit of 73, in my opinion, actually has emboldened Golden State, made Golden State even tougher, and they're used to playing under pressure because now that regular season game on a Tuesday night in February, it meant something to them. And they had to go out and win that game because they were chasing something beyond just like, let's just get through this and get to the playoffs. Like they learned how to not have mental lapses over the course of this 70 of the pursuing this 73 wins because they can't they couldn't have got it without if they would have just gone through like a regular season they wouldn't have gotten the 73 wins they had to turn it up and mentally it put them in a different space where they renormed themselves right they raised that mental mental toughness bar up to another notch as a group just to get that record and now that they've gotten that record and now on top of having that record they've come back from a 3-1 deficit Man, these dudes is unflappable. So that's one point. 
again, you're going to hear everybody after Golden State wins the championship. Sorry, Phil. You're going to hear everybody talking about how the pursuit of 73 wins made Golden State such a mentally tough team. And, yeah, everything I've just said, Stephen A is going to be saying it. Ryan Rosillo is going to be saying it. But Monty Jones and all of them are going to be saying it. All right? You watch and see. The other thing I want to talk about real quick is if Teron Lou has the guts and does sit down Kyrie, which I don't think he will, and I don't think he'll sit down Kevin Love, which is why I think Cleveland will ultimately wind up losing. If he does do that, though, let's say he does, he's basically trading them both. Like, if he has to sit them, they should be traded, period, because you yeah. can't win a championship with them if you got to sit them. If you got to sit them, you trade them. Yeah. And maybe that's too, maybe that's too knee-jerk, and that's why I'm going to bring in my man, PAD, because he's on the ground. He understands, he feels the pressure that the city of Cleveland has put kind of on LeBron's shoulders. And really, it, to, when I watch Cleveland play, and I may be wrong about this, but it feels like LeBron is the only one carrying that burden, though. These other cats are just along for the ride. I don't feel like they're all in on, like, this, like, because their legacies aren't on the line. LeBron's it. Like, ain't nobody making memes about Kyrie. Ain't nobody making memes about Kevin Love. I just saw a meme the other day from the little scene from Boys in the Hood where they say you want to go see a dead body and they got Steph and Clay and their faces on, on Doughboy and, and the LeBron's face is on the dead body. Like, ain't nobody doing that for Kyrie. You know what I mean? So, PAD, what's the, what's the tenor like and the level of pressure that you feel like LeBron is under? And is it a knee-jerk reaction to think, like, maybe Cleveland needs to re- reevaluate whether or not Love and Kyrie are the guys to help LeBron get this done? Yes, I I think it's very knee-jerk. I do. Um, I think it's premature. The series is only 2-0. I mean, years ago when Boston and the Lakers used to play against each other, it was nothing. Like, like I looked at some of the matchups in the 80s, and there were four series four series out of the nine or ten that happened in the 80s where the home team won the first two games and then the home team won the next two games. It was 2-2 after four games. You know, like sometimes we forget that this is a series and things can really flip. I also strongly disagree that Love and Kyrie are not giving their all. I, I think everybody on that team is giving their all. Next game, in game three or four, we're going to see Tristan Thompson. You know, in one of those two games, perhaps both, we're going to see him get seven or eight offensive rebounds, you know, like he did three times in the first three rounds. And all of a sudden, now the perception of Tristan Thompson is something different. It isn't, oh, he looks lost. I was listening to Dan Patrick this morning, and, you know, one of the guys called him one of the softest seven-footers in the league. First of all, he's not seven foot. And second of all, that dude bangs the boards. I mean, like, it's it's just convenient that after two games, that's where we go. And throughout the playoffs, I've seen an aggressive – like, I've seen Kevin Love play the best defense in his career. Now, am I saying that he deserves to be on the all-defensive team? No, I'm not. But he's been adequate on the defensive end. I mean, Devon noted this earlier – you know, so, like, I just think some of these criticisms are too convenient in terms of why, they, like, they haven't won. And there's no way you sit Kyrie. Lou's already shown that he will sit Kevin Love. He's already shown that in this postseason. He's already shown that. So, yeah, that could happen. 
okay? But Kyrie, there's no way that – I mean, Kyrie offensively is one of the top ten offensive players in the game. Cut and dry. There's no way that you sit him. And you don't sit him also because guess what? Cleveland has defended Steph Curry the best of any team in the league so far this year in the first two games. Steph Curry is averaging, what, 12 points, 13 points? So, it, and Kyrie's played him solid so far. So, you know, I I think these arguments, man, is, you know, like Marcus, you mentioned that, hey, Cleveland has taken away Thompson and Curry. You know what? That's the thing they continue to do. And if they lose, they lose. <laughs> if they lose, they lose. So my, my counter to that is, I think the problem is, 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 is back to what, what Marcus was saying, that the problem with this is that in those other series for Kyrie, the way in which they played conventionally, it didn't hurt you as much. But the way in which Golden State plays, which requires Kyrie to, right, to make the, great, the right defensive decision, like they put him in the blender in ways, you know, as Barkley would say, they send a limo for him in ways that hurt you more than it would against Toronto or some of these other teams. Even against Oklahoma City, it wouldn't hurt him as much because Westbrook doesn't shoot with the, 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 the high level and put the kind of pressure on you that you have to defend that far away from the court. So Kyrie becomes even more important defensively more than offensively because because – because of the fact that of the way that they play and the way they space. I think Love has kind of stepped up to it. I, I agree. I think, you know, in, in many ways to that. So I, I think he has. But I think Kyrie is such an important. And then on the other end, he's playing, but he's not creating. So the one thing that I, I was impressed about, you remember I said this to you, Phil, we watched him live, is how much they were moving the ball. So one of the things that's a problem, and this is what Kyrie saw as a problem, because it's almost like he's getting into this, you know, you know, wanting to make his point in the finals, that when you watch them play, well, I was impressed with the ball movement. So much ball movement coming off that and then ending up in someone like J.R.'s hands with the shot. There's no ball and, and movement on the backside. There's no movement because Kyrie's coming down and he's already going in the office and initiating something. And even though it's easy to get to the rim, it's like who's going. He's getting to the rim, he's getting blocked, but there's no ball movement. The ball's not finding an open shot. So he's hurting you on offense, and then he's not doing anything on defense. And so, you know, I think it's kind of like what we said about, you know, the Toronto series. You know, when their backcourt was struggling a little bit, you know, you know, when are you going to come to these guys on the bench? I think the lease for Lou is going to be a little bit shorter with some of these cats, you know, in this game three, because you can't get down by these guys. And so – they need ball movement. They need that ball movement from side to side. You're not seeing it. And Kyrie's got to be able to initiate that. Or you got to just you, you got to cut the game half and short, get you some defenders on the court, and play it close and let LeBron take you home like he did last year. So, I mean, I'm with you, but Kyrie's, Kyrie's defensive vulnerability is bigger in this series than it would have been against Oklahoma City. Kyrie is slump I mean, you don't like you don't sit Kyrie or LeBron. Like anybody on that, on that team, you don't sit those two. And I'd be shocked if that were to happen. You know, Kyrie shot six for nineteen, six for twenty, seven for twenty in game one. He had about twenty points. That's him half the time. It is. 
It is. But the thing about and it, and they have, he'll have he'll have games where he shoots fifty percent, sixty percent. But you know he's like for as many games that he shoots thirty percent from the field, he'll have the same number of games that he'll shoot sixty percent from the field. But most times he's shooting forty five to fifty percent from the field. I mean that's that that's just him. And just like West, you have to live with but, that. I mean, but I want to. I want to jump in. But you got to have this. I want to have this. You gotta have the assist, and their assists um, are are way down. You know, and and to me, that's the ball movement. You know, I'm I can not explain that though. I'm looking at I'm looking at the sharing, and I'm not seeing the sharing happening, and that's why people like Jr. and those folks are not involved in a way that they have been playing. I think probably for the last month and a half. And I, I think they're that. not as involved because, like, like I don't think the Jr.s. And you know, you know, love getting the open shots. They're not as involved because the Warriors are just a, like a superior defensive team in terms of what they've seen so far in the playoffs. You know, like there's a reason why in the first, you know, especially in the second and third round, those three point shooters for Cleveland, they were getting shots where guys weren't even a step away from them. You know, it seems like the Warriors. And again, I've only been watching the Warriors close. The last three games of the OKC series and the last two games here, so for five games, like they're cutting the space, man, with these shooters in half based on what I've seen so far. And to me that explains it a lot more. I mean, Kyrie Irving is a guy that's only going to get you four to five assists on a good night. That's just not his game. You know, I think he had double-digit assists four times this year. I mean, that's that's just not his game. Now, before LeBron came, yeah, he averaged eight, seven, or eight assists a game. But that's just not his role. But my, my thing is, yeah, and about, let me let me step in real quick, about, Let me say, but my thing is not about Kyrie's assists; it's about team assists. You know, you look at their team assists that down. It's not about Kyrie's assists; it's about team assists. You know, team assists are down. So I, I think you both are kind of on to something. Um, I kind of lean towards Phil, and the reason I lean towards Phil, and I think the thing that the media is missing with how they're presenting the narrative around Cleveland is that they're making it, a, they're making Cleveland struggles about Cleveland. Like that's where like the LeBron centric, like something's wrong with LeBron. No, nothing's wrong with LeBron. LeBron's still an amazing player. He's still the most gifted player on the planet and arguably the best player on the planet. He's still that. Kyrie is still a very good basketball player. He's still a professional scorer. As Kevin Durant said, I'm a professional scorer. Kyrie is one of those ten guys in the league who is a professional scorer. Like, they get buckets against everybody in the universe. They score. Um, Kyrie's one of those dudes. This is the same thing that I think people kept saying about OKC at the end of that Golden State OKC series, OKC ball movement, OKC's ball movement. Now they're talking about Cleveland ball movement, Cleveland's ball movement. They're playing too much ISO ball. At some point, you kind of got to start to think, maybe it's not the teams, maybe it's something that Golden State is doing, right? And it's the switching. A big piece of that is Golden State is really, really good at switching and really, really disciplined at how they switch, and they rotate really fast and really quickly. And that makes it very difficult to move the ball the way teams want to whip it around. When you set a screen and the cutter ain't open because they switched, well, who are you passing it to? When you set a ball screen and the roll man isn't open and the ball handler isn't open because they switched it, 
Well, now you don't get that hole because the whole reason you play pick and roll is to get two players guarding one, and then you pass out of it, and then you get that ball whipping around because now the defense is recovering. Well, if they don't have to recover ever, then you got your guy with no place to go because they didn't double him, and he never really drew two people. So now he has to go one-on-one because there's no other action going on. So, yes, Cleveland can be creative to get the ball moving more, but some of that and a large part of that is Golden State. Um, and I don't again some of the criticisms of LeBron and Kyrie and those guys I think is is on is is on they there there are things that they can be doing better but there are also things that Golden State is doing really well and at a really high level that is making it difficult for Cleveland to have ball movement just as they made it difficult for OKC to have ball movement and even when OKC did have ball movement in that game seven where the other guys were getting shots Golden State does a really good job of rotating and taking away that space. So that the guys, those marginal players who are now getting shots, they ain't open shots. They're not, they're not the open shots that you want your marginal players taking because your stars have attracted attention. They're contested shots. And so then Roberson goes two for 11. Waiters goes two for nine, you know, in those games against, in OKC. And you got Smith not being able to get his shot off. Shumper's not getting any good looks. Channing Fry has really hasn't even been you utilized very much. Those guys Love aren't going to get those looks. Yeah, those guys aren't getting those looks against Golden State um, because Golden State's really good on defense. I mean, at, at some point we got to start to, like, you know, give Golden – this is one of the all-time great teams. Like, it just is. And we're looking at LeBron and we're – what is he not doing? And what is This is one of the best teams ever that they're going against. And they do things really well. And they do things at a level that we haven't seen teams do very often. And so we kind of got to give some of that credit to Golden State. Now, can Cleveland, is it possible for Cleveland to figure something out? If they're going to have a shot, they better figure something out. Otherwise, they can just pack it up and go home. They got to figure something out in game three. LeBron came out today and said this was a do-or-die game. He ain't lying. If they don't win this game, it's a wrap, son. It's a wrap. If they don't go, if they don't get both of these games at home, it's a wrap. If they got to get both of these at home, they got to come out of here out of Cleveland. They got to come out two two. They got to come out two two. If it's three one when they come out, if he dies, he dies. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. You listen to Real Sports Guys, RealSportsGuys.com, RSD, Renegade Radio. We're gonna hit you with some sounds like this.
Welcome back to the Real Sports Guys of Real Guys Talk Real Sports. RSG Renegade Radio, you are in the midst of the People's Podcast, and we are talking about the NBA Finals. I have my man D. Wills and Ph.D. Uh, here chopping it up with me as we break down the NBA Finals. Um, I'm going to throw something out, and I wanna, I'll want start with you, D. Wills. Um, again, this this series has been framed up as what LeBron and the Cavs aren't doing. Um and obviously there's a lot of – I mean, the Internet is the Internet, and it can be out of control. Um, but there are a lot of memes and videos going around on social media um, questioning LeBron and his legacy. Um, and every time – I mean, for six years in a row, because LeBron has made six consecutive finals, which is something that I think gets just kind of glossed over, like that's easy to do. Um, where where do you think win or lose? What's at stake for for LeBron and, and his legacy um, right now? This series. So I mean, so for me, it's about when when you're talking about the championships, it's about the little room, right? It's about who's getting the big piece of chicken, right? <laughs> So if it's about who gets big pick of chicken, then he just getting a wing, right? But he's still in the room. But you know Jordan over there sitting with that, that you know that full plate with some gravy and some mashed potatoes. But he in the room, um, and so it it becomes about that. But when you talk about just you know the fact that he's at six straight finals, uh, his level of consistency as a player. Um, for me, you know, he's still one of the all-time greats. But, you know, but when it gets down to that, you're talking about that top three, four, you start getting that conversation, I think that's where people start to nuance a little bit. You got people here who who would say, well, he's not a top ten player. That's where you, you've, been, you've been smoking too much crack and you just need to go get some help in a different way. <laughs> so I so, got to get Joe Clark think, back on the board. <laughs> you know, I think that's where I think people get carried away uh, with it. And so, you know, this one's going to hurt. The reason why this one's going to hurt even more in some way, because I think part of what happens is you had a coaching change. So you you, you started to get some power and control. You got what you wanted. And then you, then you come out here and especially if you get swept, you perform worse than, you did when you had the coach that you said you didn't like. I think those are the things that are self-inflicted by LeBron in some ways that add to the narrative that, you know, whether he says it or not, he got to own. You know, Dan Gilbert did just make that decision, right? So I think that's what clouds some of this stuff, that this feeling that, you know, he was behind the curtain manipulating this stuff. You got who you got. You're making this run, and then you get here, and they just shut the door. Like, you know, you you lose basically two games coming into here, momentum going, and then Steph Curry them just straight up shut the door on y'all and knocked y'all out. So I think that is part of the narrative that people lose. But if you take a real step back, you know, he in a small room, however you want to look at it. You can say what you want to say. He in a little room, he just don't get, he just don't get that leg. He ain't getting no hot sauce. You got to eat that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask you a question. 
Still. <laughs> so again, these memes and these videos, and I saw I saw a meme, and it said it was a quote from Steve Kerr. It said that it was unfair to compare um, LeBron James to Michael Jordan. I don't know when this quote was from. It's a meme, right? But it was an interesting quote, and it got people talking, and I got pulled into a conversation because it said that LeBron doesn't have a sort of go-to offensive skill set when his team needs a basket that he can just go to and that he utilizes. <clears throat> what are you now? You again? You've watched up to fifty-five games, and you've watched LeBron since day one. Like you've been watching LeBron since day one. Um, at this point in his career, do you feel like um, he has developed enough of his offensive game to the point where if Cleveland needs a basket, they're going to get – like, answer this question. Cleveland needs a basket, LeBron's going to get the ball where? Absolutely. You know, I think about your most recent podcast with Sekou. Hustle and Flows, check it out, y'all. Great show on hip-hop and sports that the Game Changer is doing with Sekou. Sekou mentioned that LeBron is a guy now, unlike, like, this was the issue that you all saw with, with OKC. You know, when they needed a bucket, Durant came up empty on four or five straight trips, he and Westbrook. And the comparison you all gave, I think it was Sekou, was LeBron won't let that happen. You know, he'll come out of a timeout and he'll get the ball five straight times and he will get quality looks for others or himself. And LeBron, his post game, that first year when he moved to Miami and they lost to Dallas, RSG was up front of this. I think it was Devon that mentioned that LeBron's post game was his subpar. It sucked, especially given his physical gifts. Well, five seasons later, like, I'm not sure if there's another perimeter player maybe one or two, that has a better post game than LeBron right now. And so with that, LeBron can beat you, you know, like we saw this in in game one or two, like he can beat you on the block. If you do not send a double, he's going to get to the free throw line or make a bucket 80% of the time. That's just what he does. And I think anybody that's going to fit this definition, what you ask for, he can do that. If you bring a double, there's not a player in the league that has better vision out of the double team than him. So in my opinion, I think yes. Uh, like LeBron James, like Jordan, can be count on, counted on to get his team a good look at the bucket, whether it's him taking it most of the time or him finding, you know, it, it's kind of like how you want it. Yeah, and I agree with you there. I agree with you 100%. It, it, and it's interesting because um, I, I, as I was, uh, I was posted on Facebook and tweeting during the first game, um, and one of my one of my main takeaways from the first game was that every time Golden State got a run going, where they had a four, two or three straight good possessions, Cleveland went to LeBron on the elbow. Some way, shape, or form, they got LeBron on the elbow, and Golden State couldn't do anything with him. Like they couldn't. Like again, he he get it at the high post. And he, LeBron one or two dribbles away from the basket is unguardable. There's just, just nothing you can do. Um, he's he's too strong. He's too powerful. His footwork's great. There's really nothing you can do. Um, so I found that, and I, and I love your analysis. I think his post game has evolved. The thing I think you can't take away from LeBron is he's one of the hardest working players of this generation. 
Like the only guy who maybe works harder is Kobe. Um, but he's one of the hardest working guys of this generation. Um, he's worked on his post game. He's developed that skill. The thing that if you're gonna have a critique of of LeBron and something that he needs to do more of, the one thing that I'd say you might think that he could do more of would be shooting with confidence um, and, and taking some of those shots, some of those perimeter shots, because that's the trade-off, is that if Curry and Thompson get going, then you're trading two for three at some point. And that becomes a rough, that becomes a rough situation to deal with. Um, and that's what makes Golden State such such a difficult, difficult team to deal with. Um, and that they're going to keep chucking, and they don't get nervous, they don't get tight, they're just going to keep shooting the ball. That's the shot that they want. When they get it, they're going to take it. They're not going to shoot them and then be like, oh, well, let's try and get some twos. No, they're going to just take the shot that you give them. And they're going to, they, they feel like they can make it. And that's a, I think that's a different mentality from a lot of teams, where a lot of teams, the three's not going, so then they kind of go back, like, let's get a two. Let's just put the ball in. Whereas Golden State, the three's not going. We're going to keep shooting threes. Um, which is just, I think, a different mindset and a different mentality. Um, my, Michael Thompson uh, was on first take today, and he came out and said that the Golden State Warriors could beat the Showtime Lakers. Magic Johnson called it. <laughs> Magic Johnson just sent a tweet. Magic Johnson just sent an email. He did. He, he called in. <laughs> Magic called in and said, nah, son, nah, it ain't happening. Um. To me, there's an interesting with the with the flack that LeBron's getting. I think there's an in, interesting confluence of Jordan fans and with the Warrior of Jordan fans and Chicago Bull fans, right? And I think there's an interesting situation that's happening here. I think, like, and I saw this after the OKC series. I think there are a lot, a lot of people out there who dislike what Golden State is doing, how they're playing. They don't like Steph. They don't like the three-point shooting. They don't like Draymond. They just don't like the whole situation. But you can't really say nothing right now because it's working, and it's working real good. And so there's not a whole lot that you can say, but I think there is a population of folks who are just waiting on Golden State to, to falter because they want to say, see, I told you this style of basketball is not good. It doesn't work. You know, it's, it's, it's too soft. It's whatever. And I think that's why OKC got such backlash and such heat when they lost because those folks are like, y'all had them and y'all let it slip away. You bunch of choke. And I don't think OKC choked at all. But I think people were like, you should get rid of this team. And I think that same thing is happening with LeBron in Cleveland where it's like, you guys got to get rid of them or else this is how basketball is going to be played for the next 10 years. And if you don't, well, then you're not as great as Michael Jordan because Michael Jordan would have got rid of the team already. And I think there's an element of that that's coming into play. But then I think there's also an element of, well, also if they beat LeBron, who I think you, you ask 10 people, seven of them are going to say he's the best player on the planet. Um, the other three probably will say Steph. Um, 
But I think if you ask ten people, seven of them are going to say LeBron is LeBron James is the best basketball player on the planet. If this team wins seventy three games, comes back from three down three one against a team with two of the top five players and two future Hall of Famers uh, in their primes, the early parts of their primes, um, and then defeats a team led by the greatest player of this generation. Um, a top five all-time player with his uh, complementary pieces healthy, then that then puts an assault on or puts them in the conversation of are they better than the 72 and 10 Chicago Bulls? And I think you get this weird mix of, like, people just something's got to give. Because <laughs> then if LeBron wins another title, he kind of gets a little bit closer to being able to, those LeBron fans get a little bit closer to being able to say, "Hey, he's got three rings now. You know, maybe he got, maybe he could, maybe he could get a side instead of this little wing. Maybe he could get some hot sauce. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Slide <laughs> over a little bit. You know, maybe he bumps somebody out of a chair. You know, maybe he moves closer That's to the right. head of the table in the little room. Um, he moves closer to that big piece of chicken. And so, like, there's this weird <laughs> dynamic where." It's it's it, there's a there's a, there's a several agendas that are uh, you know in Ghost remember the movie Ghostbusters the original movie Ghostbusters they say you mm-hmm. can't don't cross the streams because it's bad that's right yeah this is like agendas are crossing right people got these different agendas and they're crossing and it's bad and it's just getting people to act a fool on the internet because <laughs> you on one hand you don't want to LeBron to win. There are certain people that don't want LeBron to win because then, again, he gets close to the big piece of chicken. But then there's certain people that don't want Golden State to win because they don't like Steph and they don't like three-point shooting and they don't want anybody to be able to say that this team is better than the 72-10 and the 96 Bulls. So I find, like, that's that's interesting to me. Um, I I want to add that. Let me me add something quick to that. In a crazy way, your prediction – coming true actually would have been the best scenario for everyone, right? It almost yeah. kind of resets. If OKC wins, it kind of resets the deck in a really interesting way, you know, that allows the universe to be right again, right? You know, that was kind of argument I was making when I when I was saying that, you know, uh, when, what was I saying? They were, you know, I said when they were down 3-1, I said they were close to being a uh, uh, one-on-one hit wonder. Ready, ready for the world. Ready for the world. Ready for the world. Yeah, and, and so and because that scenario would allow for people to call them almost that one-hit wonder, especially if they come back next year, right? But but these other two scenarios, you're right, create a different conversation that threatens the mindset of many of the hardcore fans who, you know, were influenced by Jordan and, you know, particularly Michael Jordan and the Bulls in, in a weird way. You know, as a, as a, as a Dallas fan, I – I mean, as, as a Detroit fan, I kind of like that. As a Detroit fan, I kind of like that little chip at it. So I'm not, I don't, I don't mind it. But it, 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 it seems like, yeah, the OK City winning actually would have been the best outcome for people who really want to preserve the past. Yeah, and, and I think I think this is driving some 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 folks mad. <laughs> I think people are losing it out there. Um, I really do. Um, so. A couple of shows ago, Ph.D. kind of gave me a culpa of sorts on Draymond. Um, and kind of just said, you know, 
he he apologized. He said he was wrong. Um, PhD, are you still at that place? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, I I mean, the gist of the argument was that Devon feels like Draymond Green is a max player, deserving a max contract, and the game changer doesn't. And before, so I, you know, I'm glad you brought this up because my thing was I didn't think that Draymond Green could be a number two option on a really good team. I thought that he could be a third option in the right situation like he's in in Golden State. And... I do feel differently now. You know, as as I mentioned a few weeks ago, I think that he could be a number two on any team in the NBA. I don't think he could be a number one on an NBA, you know, championship team or even a playoff team. I don't. So, so I'm still there, but I have moved up quite a bit to say that, okay, this, this guy is one of the top 20 players in the league. Before I thought maybe he was a top 50 guy in the league. Um, you know, I and I think he's one of the best players in the league right now, top twenty. So, like, no doubt. All right, all right, and and you know, me and Devon have gone back and forth. You know, I keep texting him the three bananas because he's a third banana. <laughs> and I send you the icing on the cake, material. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. And so we've been it's going back great. and it's forth. Been a great it is, and it's one of it's one of our discussions, right? If you see, if you hear anybody else going hard on Draymond Green, they stole that from us. This is this is our thing, um, <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm back to you know I was kind of almost there, and then after those last three games against OKC, I was like, yeah, he is who we thought he was. He's a really good player. He's gonna go down. He's gonna be a Hall of Famer, and this is the thing that I think. I, I, I want you to understand, D. Wills, is that in the Rodman example, and I feel like I have an example that I think you can understand where I'm coming from. Rodman is undeniably an, one of the best defensive players of all time, arguably the best rebounder ever, um, and a, a surefire Hall of Famer, undebatable Hall of Famer. Um, when he was in the league, he was probably undeniably a top 20 player. Um, as Phil said, but there is never a time where you want Dennis Rodman as your first or second best player. There's never a situation where you want him as your first or second best player. Um, and I think if you're trying to win a championship, and, I, and for me, Draymond is in that same category where he is an excellent player, but the type of player that he is, because he is so many things, like he's good at so much, but he isn't excellent. He isn't awesome. He isn't elite at any one particular thing. Maybe defense, but offensively, he isn't elite at any one particular thing. He can't be your one or two. That's my ultimate thing. I think Draymond Green will go down as a Hall of Fame basketball player. I think he is a top 20 player in the league. I don't think he is a lead dog or a second fiddle. I think he's a third banana. It ain't nothing wrong with being. You can be a Hall of Fame player and be a third banana. You know, I think he's a second banana, but we'll 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 discuss that later. But what, what, what I no, say this is the time to discuss it. 
No, but, 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 but what, what, what I say is, what I say is, where he's a lead dog is, 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 is we can talk a lot about his play, and I think, I think we're not giving value to the fact that you can do a lot of things at a high level, particularly at this day and age, which is very important. But the other thing is that what he does psychologically and what he does emotionally and what he does in, in, in competitively. And I would say that we haven't, we haven't seen him. He's not finished. So he's doing this now, but I don't know if he's even finished. I think he's still got another level to go to. The other thing is, in some ways, he's almost with a three-point shot, like a big man's version of like a Jason Kidd type cat, in a way in which he's able to control the game, which allows the shooters to play the way they want to play. And so, in some ways, he's introducing a style. It's like it's like one of them MCs that introduce a style that. When you look back on it, like, dang, that was a dope style. But at the time, you're like, I'm trying to get a sense of where this cat is going with this style. And I think that I think he's one of those people that we're going to be able to really understand in, in retrospect. You know, in a way that we we look at some of these players, we can kind of see in the moment. I think he's one of those folks that you're going to be able to think about retrospectively and say, wow, now I know what that looks like. And that's what I love the beauty of him. In my last argument when I was saying we were having this argument about this, like, we can say all we want to say. But he believed he maxed. He believed he won two and three banana. Like, that's just how he walks in the world. And that matters because there are other cats who don't walk like that and back it up. That's just kind of how he walks. And his teammates walk with him like he's at. See, that's the other element people don't recognize. You know, a lot of cats were doing that. And even with Rodman, his teammates wouldn't necessarily walk with him like that. But Draymond he's wearing a dress. Would it like he like that? Huh? That's because Rodman was wearing a dress, bro. <laughs> yeah, I'm I, I, I with that. I was there. I saw him. You know, I loved him pre-dress. I loved him pre-dress. If he did, you know, he, yeah, he nice could do that. Line. I ain't got no problem with him doing that. He could rock a dress. He's going to expect me to do more well. But 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 part of what I love about Draymond, I mean, I think Marcus, you broke him down in really interesting ways that I don't even argue against half the time when you we break out some of those things. But the thing that he brings to the table is he's, he's created this thing in a way that everybody around him believes it. Like, they walk like it, they believe it, they treat him like it in a way that I haven't right. seen another player being treated like that. Right. And I think he's perfect. He's in the perfect ecosystem for who he is, right? Yes. If he was, a, I mean, as a, as a basketball player, this is a perfect ecosystem for him to flourish because, again, and, and I'm going to be real about this, and again, we said it on this show like a week ago. We didn't get the in, we didn't get too deep into it, but you know, ESPN's mm-hmm. got the new website to undefeated, and they're talking about whether or not people hate on Steph because he's light skinned, or people like Steph because he's light skinned. And we've been said that. Like I said, I said that jokingly. Yeah. I said that like a hundred times on air that yeah. you know people 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 doubt Steph and Clay because they're light skinned, and Draymond yeah. gives that team an edge, and they need that, right? Yeah. That's something that they need, and he provides that. He provides he Like, he's the one in the Bay commercial, you know what I'm saying, with, with everybody going dummy, you know what I'm saying? Not, not Steph, mm-hmm. not Clay. That just wouldn't fit, you know what I'm saying? But he's, that, he's the guy that gives him that edge. Um, and I yeah. think you have to be – because he is such a fiery personality, because he is such – a, a because he does have so so much belief in himself, I think you do. I think that makes him even more hard to just plop into another situation because he has to have the right mix of people around him 
who aren't going to get feel challenged, feel threatened, feel rubbed the wrong way by his belief in himself. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that that to me also matters, right? When you talk about team chemistry, not that he's a bad chemistry guy at all. There may be bad chemistry guys on your roster who then look at him and are like, he think he all that. I'm going to go, you know what I mean? Like there's a, there's a certain type of situation where a guy like him is going to flourish. And I think the, the situation in Golden State is perfect because they need him and he needs that kind of environment is what I'm trying to say. And I think it accentuates I, I, what he does. But I might counter that a little bit. And I think this is something, you know, this thing new to Draymond. When he was in, when he was in the Big Ten, people were having the same criticism on his way to player of the year. This ain't new for him. So I would, I would think that if you put him in a newer environment, he would figure it out. Like, he has, he has the ability to figure it out that I don't think people give credit to that I would say might be true about other players who might have been benefited by their circumstances. I think because of the fact he played multiple years in college and did all the things he do, I think there's something about you that you grow with that you're able to scan and figure it out. I think that he would develop the capacity to lead because that's just who he is. And, 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 and so that's the part that I challenge back on people that try to say, well, this is good to go to state. No, I think this is a cat that wherever he is, he will figure it out. And, 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 and that's the part that I argue about. I could be wrong. And you could be right. And I'm not saying I know, right? That's something that, again, that's one of those things that ain't no metric to, to, to yes. gauge that. There's no stat that, you know, encompasses no. that or quantifies that particular element of what Draymond brings to the table, but it's a real thing mm-hmm. and it's a thing that Golden State needs from him. Um, yeah. And that's the thing that I don't know if Cleveland has anybody who, like, gives them that edge. And I think they had that last year. Like, I think Delhi gave yeah. them a little bit of a, a nastiness. You know, um, PAD, do you think – does Cleveland have somebody who, when, when, who just has that, like – I mean, LeBron, obviously – can go get a bucket when he wants to, but somebody else, like, do they have, like, a Mad Max, like a Sam Cassell, like that other dude who just, like, I don't care. I mean, J.R. Smith has has had that sort of mentality, but he's never had that mentality in a winning sort of a way. Like, he's had that mentality in a Nick Young kind of loosey-goosey environment <laughs> where nobody cares what kind of shot I take, so I'm going to take a crazy mm-hmm. shot and then be, like, excited about it. Um what do you think about that? I, you know, we did see that in Jr. the first couple of rounds of the playoffs, um, where you know we all can point to that game two against Atlanta, where they set the record for the number of threes. Where he was, he, he had a, he had three or four shots in that game where he took legitimate heat check shots, and so he has that ability. However, Cleveland. You know, I think the thing that is so confounding for people when we when when you watch Cleveland these first two games is how hard it is for them to get open shots compared to the Warriors. <laughs> okay? Because in the first three rounds it was Cleveland getting all these open shots and their offense looked flawless in general those first three rounds. And so what we're seeing is their offense now is coming down to LeBron or Kyrie trying to break break down the defend the defender, get to the hole, create a shot for themselves or others. And 
you know, Golden State, man, their rotations are crisp. And if they get beat off the dribble, a lot of times they just get beat off the dribble. And we saw in game two that Bogut was cleaning up a lot of the mistakes that the perimeter defenders for uh, the Warriors were having and trying, like, like in terms of trying to stay in front of people. So, you know, Cleveland, man, they don't have a guy other than LeBron um, and Kyrie. I mean, I think we're going to see in the next couple of games – like, wow, Kyrie, man. Like, every game I've seen Kyrie make two or three shots where it's like, wow, the defense could have done anything more. And there's only a few guys in the league that can do that. Unfortunately for Cleveland, um, Steph, Steph Curry consistently does that. Thompson consistently does that. And in game two, that was Draymond Green, too. And, I mean, that was just – a head scratcher for me. I mean, this cat is taking one dribble and knock it down a three. I, I haven't watched him play a lot, you know, but that's not his game. But he was knocking him down. So I do think they have two guys that can create shots. I agree with you, man. Last year, Delhi gave him something. Like, like he gave him something extra. And I'm hoping maybe they, you know, in the short term, Delhi was good. But over the course of a seven-game series where you're playing against a better team, you can't play Delhi 30 minutes like we had to last year. You you can't. You need to be playing Delhi no. 15, 18 minutes. Um, and he like he's doing some things. Had had Cleveland won game two, we'd be looking at Delhi like, oh yeah, when he did what he did to Iggy. And <laughs> I will say Iggy Springfield, Illinois was in the house. Uh, Iggy was was pretty much checking him, and as a veteran, that like, listen, I'm not gonna get kicked out of this game, but I'm gonna let you know um, that was ill, <laughs> and I did not like that. Okay, um, but you know, it's to me, it's just perspective, man. If if Cleveland wins, we're looking at Delhi like, wow, he really riled up the team. But unfortunately, the first two games, we just haven't seen it. Yeah, and I think that's something that my hope again, because I'm I'm a real real believer in role players play better at home. Role players always always shine at home, and you know hopefully that that's what Cleveland can get from from somebody on that bench, whether it's Channing Fry or Delhi. They need a spark, Shumpert. Somebody needs to come in with a bit of an edge that's sustainable. Right, that's that that can last over at least carry them through his homestand. They gotta get out of here with two dubs. Um, if they Kevin Love w- doesn't play, if Kevin Love doesn't play in Game Three, who do you all think Cleveland should start in the starting lineup? Mm. I, I say Shumpert. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I go yeah, Shumpert. Yeah. You play LeBron at the four, Tristan at the five. Um, you go Jr. And I think that lineup, to me, should be a very good defensive lineup with Kurt, with Kyrie, Shumpert, uh, Jr., LeBron, and Tristan out on the court together. That should be a good lineup, and it should give you like Shump and uh, and Tristan are the guys that I probably aren't. I'm not too concerned with as far as shooting, um, but Shump can knock it down if you if you if you leave him open. 
That's the lineup yeah. that I go with. Um, I don't know how much that lineup has played. You've been real locked in on kind of the uh, the different iterations of lineups that Cleveland has thrown out over the course of the season, PAC. I don't know what that lineup is or what that lineup looks like as far as a plus minus um, over the course of the season or how much they've actually played that lineup. Um, but that's a lineup that I tend to lean towards because it matches up very well with Golden State. But, again, that's the, that's the, that's the daggone issue with Golden State is that they make you do stuff that you don't want to do. Like, like they make yeah. you play people that and, and play combinations and things. To, they, they force you to play their style. They force you to. Because if you don't, they're going to is, is, is there any way to play Mozgov any more minutes? I mean, is there a way to go bigger? Well, let me tell you something about Mozgov, man. Like, straight up, like, it was like toward the end of the Toronto series. I was like, whatever happened to Mozgov? <laughs> like, I used to ask myself that question out loud. <laughs> like, I'm watching the game, and I think it was when Valentunas, Valentunas came back, and I'm like, hey, whatever happened to that Mozgov dude? <laughs> Is he hurt? (laughs) I went to the computer. I'm looking up games. I'm like, man, is he playing? Is he just not available? I mean, he played well last year, too. Yeah, yeah. He was a key piece. He was a key piece. I mean, under Ty Lue, he's kind of falling out of rotation. But, yeah, I was really – sorry, I digress a little bit. But I was really just like, where in in the world is Timothy Mosgolf? I mean, I thought he, I forgot he was on the roster. I, I had, and when the they court. brought out Mo Williams, when Mo Williams came on the court the other night, I was like, "Oh snap, is on the team." Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Mo Williams gave him some good minutes, man. The first twenty, thirty yeah. games of the season, when Kyrie was out, he was giving him. I mean, at, at one point, I know in fantasy basketball, he was averaging like ten, twelve, thirteen points a game. Mm. Yeah. I would not want to see him play significant minutes now, though. I would not. And the thing about Moskov, man, he did hurt his knee um, in February or so, and he missed a handful of games, and they brought him back slowly. But the team started playing so much better without him. You're right. I mean, they just have not used him much. And when he's played in garbage time, He's looked stiff and just um, out of place, man. Really, you know, it 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 almost screams as if it's a confidence issue. Um, he just looks out of place. But you know, he he was our second leading scorer last year, in the, like in the finals. So again, man, if they were playing Oklahoma City, woulda, coulda, shoulda, I know. But this is a guy that could give you more contributions, I think, in that kind of series. Right now, he's just like he's a no man's land, and it's one of those things where if that's all you got, you know, it's you know, it's almost. <laughs> I used to pitch in high school, and you know, sometimes the coach would tell you like he'd come out to the mound if you're having a bad inning, and like listen, you like you're out here, you're out here. I'm not bringing in anybody, you know, like you're out here. You got a four run lead. And, like, we're going to see what you made of. Sometimes in those situations, you have this confidence that you're not going to get yanked, and all of a sudden you relax and play better. I wonder if that happened with Moskov this year, where now, you know, I mean, uh, last year, like now, you know, because they were so hurt last year, they had to play him. Now he just he just doesn't fit in. We'll see if he makes any contributions moving forward, but I don't want to see him out there right now. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I totally understand that situation, man. I totally understand that situation. And that speaks to the brilliance of LeBron James, though, man. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I say it time and time again. There's no one, on no basketball player I've ever seen who makes an average dude look really, really good. Um, the thing that that right there I, is the beauty of LeBron. Yeah. Yeah. I think and, nobody in history, other than Magic, him and Magic, to me, are in a special category because they do that. Like they did that better than anybody else. Yeah. Yeah, I agree 100%. Like, he's got Richard Jefferson looking like he's valuable. <laughs> like, Richard Jefferson might get another contract. You know what I'm saying? Like, he might get another contract off this. <laughs> um, so, let's wind this down. You listen to the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RSC, Renegade Radio. We're approaching the last word of the show. And we got about three minutes left. And obviously, um, as everyone is aware of, uh, we lost another great, man. Um, there's some people, man, we need to be looking out for. Stevie Wonder, wherever you at, man, hide. Um, you know, there's a couple other people out there. Just go someplace and just chill out, sit down, hide, um, because 2016 is, is real. Um, the legends are being snatched up left and right, and we lost another one in Muhammad Ali, also known as Cassius Clay. Um, over the past weekend, the inspiration for this particular drop. His mama named Clay. I'm gonna call him Clay. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> From coming to America. Um, just real quick, we got about two minutes and fifty seconds left. Um, what did Muhammad Ali mean to you? Um, take a second, think about that, um, and I'll have D. Wills go to PhD go, and then I'll wrap us up. Um, but just who was Muhammad Ali to you? Well, I went deeper into this uh, the podcast one mic with uh, Hank, and so you can definitely hear more about it. But I'll just simply say, as I, I was telling Phil this, um, cause I'm a little bit older than y'all, that Ali was what we thought the president would look like. like He was, before we had Obama in terms of a, a black president, Ali for us was this voice that um, uh, provided a voice for the voiceless in a way, um, challenged the establishment in a way that people growing up in the 70s and 80s, when you were thinking about the hardship, a lot of communities uh, and the 60s needed that voice. And so, um, you know, he was someone that helped to shape you know, who I thought I was and the fact that I could be thinking outside the box, that I was the greatest. You know, when he said he was the greatest, his image of saying he's the greatest was that. But he was complex. And I think, you know, at some point we could talk about the complexity of it. But for me, you know, he, he represented that level of kind of admiration for me as a young person. He's the greatest. I yield my time to Marcus. Appreciate it. Um, you know, Ali is my favorite athlete um, just because of the way he was willing to sacrifice um, his, his his ability to do the thing that he loved um, for something that, a cause that he believed in. And I think that's, that's tremendous. 
um, the thing that I think when I think of Muhammad Ali was he was the first superstar athlete, in my opinion. When we think of a superstar today, uh, being able to cross over, do other things, um, to me he was that Jackie Robinson was, was transcendent, but he was transcendent in a very different way. Um, Ali was the first, um, like Jackie Robinson kind of transcended sport with his values and his morals, and Ali did that with his values as well, but I also think Ali added another level, um, and that level was the way he transcended with his personality um, and the way he was engaging. Um, and he represented himself in a very free way that a lot of African-American males did not get to do uh, during that era. Um, he was able to be himself um, and to kind of bring um, another layer of identity to the the concept of what it meant to be African-American and African-American man um, during his era. Um, and I applaud him for that. Um, since him, many, many others have added layers upon layers upon layers. Um, but I think he was – he he – kind of allowed the world to kind of feel comfortable with a certain type of brother um, and to allow the world to embrace a certain kind of a black man. Um, and I appreciate that. Um, and that's something that uh, I, I will always, I'll always remember Muhammad Ali for and be thankful to him. Um, great dude. Um, you know, and, and I feel robbed. Because for most of my um, kind of conscious life, he was unfortunately dealing with Parkinson and not able to speak um, and be who he was. Um, so I feel like I, I missed, I missed um, being able to, to really kind of – and maybe that, that's a gift and a curse. Maybe he would have said things that I didn't like and we would have totally think about him. You know, I think about that a lot with people who passed, um, great people, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King. Like if they had lived, would we – Tupac – Biggie, like when we view Biggie as a horrible rapper, <laughs> but he was yeah. when he's gotten worse. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it, when you see somebody at their peak and then you don't get to see him beyond that, um, that's a special thing. But Ali giving up four years of his career um, because he did not want to, uh, because because of his values and, and what what he believed in, um, I just don't see an athlete being able to do. I don't see an athlete making that choice. I don't see very many people. Period. You know, we get on our athletes. I don't see a lot of people, period, living out their values that way um, and being willing to sacrifice career, livelihood for something that you believe in. Most people will suck it up and take that L and just be disgruntled. Um, but Ali, he stood up, um, and so that should be applauded. So with that said, we're going to close it out. Uh, you've been listening to the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RSU Renegade Radio. We'll be back at it again in approximately two weeks. Um, I'm going on vacation next week. Finally, <laughs> will be done. So I will be away. Um, we'll probably join you. Hopefully the series will still be going. Um, hopefully it will still be going. The last two years on my vacation, the series has ended. <laughs> I've watched – I've watched the final game of the NBA Finals from my uh, condo in Virginia Beach. I hope that it will still be going on. 
But as my man PhD, he brightened my day the other day because he pointed out that the last second NBA Summer League starts. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no one else in the world cares, but I do. <laughs> I will be watching open practices. I will be watching Summer League games. I will be watching whatever I can. I'm, I, got, I had a WNBA game on while we were doing this. So, till then, be easy, peace. Catch you later. Cavs are nine games. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.